Welcome to episode 317 of Live Happy Now. Dr. Kristen Neff has been teaching us about self-compassion for almost 20 years, and now she's teaching us how to get fierce. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week, Kristen is here to talk about her new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, which looks at an aspect of self-compassion that's often overlooked. But fierce self-compassion is just as important to our well-being as tender self-compassion, and she's here to tell us why. Kristen, welcome back to Live Happy Now. Oh, thanks for having me, Paula. I'm really happy to be talking with you again. You are the person to talk to about self-compassion, and you've been guiding us on this journey to self-compassion for almost 20 years now. I wondered if you could talk about, like, has the way that we think about self-compassion and our awareness changed in that time that you've been studying it and helping us along this journey? Uh, yeah, I think I think it has. You know, when I first started writing about self-compassion, people hadn't really heard of the term before. You know, even in, in more Buddhist circles where I got the idea from, they talked about compassion for, you know, others or oneself, but they didn't really have that term self-compassion. And there was a lot more skepticism about it. I used to get a lot more raised eyebrows when I talked about self-compassion. And now, you know, again, almost 20 years later, there's, I think, a lot more acceptance of it. One of the reasons is a huge amount of research, well over 3,500 studies showing the benefits of self-compassion, which helps a lot. And it's, it's kind of followed on the footsteps of mindfulness toward more popular acceptance. So that's nice. I still have to advocate for it, but not quite as hard as I used to. (laughs) (laughs) And you have an interesting story of how you got interested in this topic. Can you kind of talk about what it was that drew you toward studying self-compassion? Yes. Well, for me, it was a personal journey. You know, I started practicing self-compassion for me because I needed it before I started studying it. That was my last year of graduate school at UC Berkeley. And I was just under a lot of stress. I had gotten a divorce. I, you know, gotten married early and divorced early. And I was just feeling badly about myself and also under a lot of stress about, you know, when I get a job after getting my PhD. And so I'd heard mindfulness meditation was good for stress. So I took a course of mindfulness meditation. And luckily for me, the woman leading the course talked about the importance of showing compassion to yourself, you know, being warm, supportive, caring, um, helpful. And I tried it out. It felt kind of weird at first, but I tried it out and I was just blown away by the huge difference it made. So then I did get a real job, luckily, at UT Austin, and um, I started researching it. And the rest really kind of is history. And your research has taken us through many different iterations of self-compassion, really. And and we've evolved. I think our study of it has evolved with you. And now with your new book, and I love this, you're introducing the idea of fierce self-compassion. And this is, it is so fascinating. And so can you tell us what you mean when you talk about fierce self-compassion? And so I talk about fierce as opposed to tender self-compassion. And these are both faces of self-compassion, and they're both really important. But most people, when they hear the word self-compassion, they just think of its tender side and not its fierce side. So tender self-compassion is about self-acceptance. It's more of a soft, nurturing, gentle energy. But if you look at what compassion is, you know, it defines scientifically as concern with the alleviation of suffering. And though we want to accept ourselves, you know, if we want to alleviate suffering, sometimes we don't want to accept all our behaviors or we don't want to accept the situations we find ourselves in. Right. And so sometimes if either our behaviors, the situations or even the world we live in are harmful to us in some way, 
you know, the self-compassionate thing isn't to be accepting and gentle and yielding. It's to like to be fierce. I like to call it mama bear self-compassion, <laughs> right? There's mama is gentle. And then there's mama bear, which is like, you're crossing my boundaries. You're treating me unfairly or no, I would love to help you, but I need to meet my own needs. Or, you know, yes, I need to do something differently because what I'm doing right now isn't working so well. And so this is more of the action oriented side of self-compassion, which people are a little less familiar with. We really need both. We need them to be balanced, but the imbalance is different for men and women. When I think you bring up such a great point that there's tender self-compassion. And that really is what we think about. Like when I hear the word self-compassion, I think of tenderness, gentle, a hot bath, hot cup of tea, you know, this whole like self-care kind of thing. And for some people that might be difficult, more difficult to adopt. Whereas fierce self-compassion, I think a lot of women have these feelings and it's a lot easier to wrap your head around and embrace. Yeah, well, certainly it counters the number one block to self-compassion, which is the idea that it's going to make you like soft and lazy and self-indulgent and, you know, unmotivated. And so I think even the term kind of says, oh, wait a second, that's not what I think of when I think lazy and self-indulgent. So that's useful. One of the metaphors I like to use for fierce self-compassion, in addition to mama bear, which is a good one, is, you know, a firefighter. A firefighter, if he or she sees a building on fire, she doesn't just say like, oh, well, I really feel for you. Is there anything, you know, I'll care for you. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, the firefighter might have to risk their life to like pull out people from a burning building or the people trapped inside the burning building may have to risk their life and be brave and courageous in order to save themselves. This is also a really important part of compassion, right? So sometimes self-compassion takes courage. It means doing something. It means being fierce, being a warrior. And this is, you know, to really make it complete, we need both. Now, if you have too much tenderness without enough fierceness, you might become complacent. On the other hand, if you have too much fierceness without enough tenderness, you might become like aggressive or hostile or really driven. In some ways, our world, partly because it's been run by men who are socialized not to be tender, you know, that you can look what's happened to our world with that attitude. So I think what we really need to do is strive toward balance and having both faces of love, which is really what it is, both faces of care available to us at all times. And how difficult is it to be able to both embrace both sides of self-compassion and to be able to balance it because I can see where it's easy to get out of balance (laughs) one way or the other. Yeah. Well, so uh, it's not like you reach a point in balance and you stay there. I wish that were the case. (laughs) What happens is it's really a process, right? So you get out of balance and then you give yourself whatever type of compassion you need to get more rebalance and you'll fall out of balance again. I end my book with a chapter, one of my favorite sayings, which is the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. In other words, you're always going to be a mess. You're always going to get it wrong. You're always actually going to be off balance, but that's okay because your goal is not to get to this point of perfection. Your goal is just to embrace the whole messy, bumpy ride with kindness, care, and concern, and really asking, you know, what do I need in this moment? And so sometimes we need to take a little more action. Sometimes we need to be a little more accepting. Um, Often we need both. And the two really, they don't conflict because the acceptance is more aimed at 
us as people, we accept ourselves, and the action is more aimed at the behaviors of the situation. So just like with your child, you can unconditionally love and accept your child at the same time that you say, I'm sorry, that behavior is not acceptable, you know, (laughs) because it's harming you. And so we kind of understand this duality when it comes to our children. And so the idea is we need to turn this inward toward ourselves. And this book does a great job of showing how to do that. And one thing I found interesting is right up front, you say that this book is written for women. And that doesn't mean guys can't read it, but but it's very clear. And so can you tell us a little about that and why this was the right time for you to write it? Yeah. And so I do apologize to my male friends. And a lot of men have read it and said they got a lot out of it. But because, you know, to really understand why it's so hard to be self-compassionate, you really have to understand history and especially gender role socialization. So, for instance, compassion is part of the female gender role. And you would think, and I must say this partly why like only 10% of anyone at my workshop are men because they think, oh, that's a female thing. And yet women have less self-compassion than men. Why is that? It's because, you know, if you look at the history of women, women were raised to subordinate their own needs. They don't feel entitled to meet their own needs, whereas men feel more entitled to meet their own needs. So women have less self-compassion than men. They have a lot more compassion for others. When it comes to the Fierce self-compassion is especially tricky because, again, you know, women are socialized not to be angry, not to be too competent, not to be too powerful. People don't like women like that. They like their woman soft and compliant and say, yes, yes, I'll help you. Of course I will. <laughs> it's an exaggeration, but only so much, right? We all know that. We're socialized in a way that men aren't. And so in order to write the book, I could have written like, well, for men, it works this way. And for women, it works that way. I mean, men are also really harmed by not having access to their tent. And that really harms men in terms of their mental health, their emotional intelligence. But, you know, it's kind of a different book. And also, you know, that's part of it. And then also just the women's movement right now. The Me Too movement was actually the direct inspiration for this book. I had a really horrible encounter with someone who turned out to be like a mini Harvey Weinstein and and just unpacking it and going through it and my own feelings, all the other women involved. And it was really horrific. And of course, it wasn't just me. It was me too. All women are really, you know, for years and years, we kind of shoved this sexual harassment and abuse under the rug. You know, that's the way men are. And now we're saying, no, this is really women's fierce self-compassion arising as we say, no, it is not okay. It is not acceptable. We're drawing a line in the sand. And some women have a little more difficulty with that because, again, they've been so socialized that people don't like women who are too hard or powerful or fierce. I really realized that this book could help women, and not only just for the women's movement, but the social justice movement more generally. Self-compassion isn't enough if it's just about, okay, well, I'm happy and I'm peaceful. If the world around me is going to hell in a handbasket, you know, we need to have a just society. We need to combat global warming. There's so many things we need to take action in order to help if we want to provide for our own well-being in addition to that of others. So I, I really felt this was needed. It is. And it's such a great handbook for being able to learn how to embrace it. And as you talk about, we need it for not just ourselves, but for, you know, the social movement. What is it going to mean to like this next generation of girls that are being raised into women if they're being raised by women who embrace and practice fierce compassion? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think luckily with each generation, they seem to be less constricted by traditional gender roles, which is great because traditional gender roles are very, very constricting. I mean, everyone has all both sides of this and they really should be able to express themselves authentically. But yeah, I think especially for parents trying to raise, not only raise girls, but raise boys with understanding that, you know, these fierce and tender energies is something that we all need that could be really helpful. Things like accepting your anger. Even today, we still have very strong prohibitions against angry women. Look at the presidential election we just had, you know, in the States. Amy Klobuchar And Elizabeth Warren had to apologize for being too fierce at one of their debates because, you know, they're supposed to be that way. Men don't have to apologize for being ever, ever. Ever. (laughs) And so it's still operating very powerfully today. So, you know, for those people who are mothers or parents, I think it's not enough just to tell your daughters, hey, you're allowed to be fierce. It's good if you're fierce. But if you model it, the message is going to get through that much clearer because we know from the research that one of the ways self-compassion is learned is through modeling. What are some of the obstacles, though, that women can expect to run into? Because as we've said, this isn't generally just, oh, great, the women are here and they're taken back the power. You know, that's that's not always embraced. Yeah. So, so that's a really good point. People like the fact that women are so agreeable and compliant. And one of the fears women have in terms of drawing boundaries, for instance, and saying no, is that they're afraid other people won't like them as much. Well, we have to actually be open to that possibility. Some people may not like you quite as much, right? Because it's easier when you're just a doormat and you do everything other people want. The beautiful thing about self-compassion is we become less dependent on other people's approval, right? We can approve of ourselves. We can respect ourselves. We can provide ourselves with the kindness and acceptance and support we need. That doesn't mean we don't need other people, that we don't need friends, but we don't have to be subordinate either. Um, One of the things self-compassion allows you to do is to be more authentic so that you say yes when you authentically mean it, but you say no when you don't authentically mean it. And again, you know, some other people in your life may have a kind of negative reaction to that, but that's the thing. It doesn't matter as much because you can provide yourself with the security and support you need. And what does that do to our overall well-being, which is what we all want to improve anyway? You know, the research is pretty overwhelming. So, for instance, for those of you who are thinking, oh, no, if I draw boundaries, I'm going to have horrible relationships. (laughs) Actually, rest assured, the research shows that people who can be authentic in relationships, they actually have better quality relationships. They're rated by their partners as being more giving, more loving. People are more satisfied with compassionate partners. People can resolve conflicts with compromise as opposed to, you know, subordinating or my way or the highway. So it's very good for relationships. It's good for authenticity. It allows people to speak up. And mental health is linked to, you know, more happiness, relevant to the title of the show, more happiness, um, more life satisfaction, more hope, more optimism, less depression, less anxiety, less stress, better physical health, because, of course, the mind and body are connected, more motivation. I mean, really, the list goes on and on. That's partly why there's so much research on it, because this is a learnable skill. Right. It's not like you're just born with it or not. You can learn to be more self-compassionate. And the research shows it makes a dramatic difference in your happiness and your ability to function well in life. Yeah. And, you know, your self-compassion workbook was so good at helping people cultivate 
self-compassionate that, I mean, that's such a powerful tool. Are there things that you're offering in this book that can do similar things in terms of helping people get in touch with that fierce side and cultivate that? Yes. So what I did is actually I adapted a lot of the practices from the Mindful Self-Compassion program so that they focus more on the fierce side of self-compassion. So, you know, the workbook, the practices don't really focus on either tender or fierce compassion. They're just kind of you know, what do you need in the moment? But what I did for this book is I really drew out the fear side of it. I help people figure out ways to physically support themselves to bring up fierceness, to use the breath to bring up fierceness. I have a lot of what's called self-compassion breaks, where you intentionally bring in the three components of self-compassion, which are kindness, a sense of common humanity and mindfulness, but really in their fierce form, depending on what you, what you need in the moment. I had a lot of fun with it. And so now I'm actually starting to teach fierce self-compassion workshops with these uh, practices. So your website has a ton of resources. Like you've got these great meditations for people. Yes. And, yeah. and then like, I love your infographic. People have to go to your website just to see the, the infographic. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. A woman named Joe Byrne made that for me. She offered to make this fierce self-compassion infographic and it came out so well. Everyone yeah. should have that on their wall. I mean... <laughs> So yeah, I I tried to make my website the place to start. So for people who are just curious, you know, it's totally free. Of course, there's practices, exercises, research articles available, and then links for people who want to go deeper in terms of maybe taking a training course in self-compassion. Yeah. And as I explore and and as they're getting into the fierce self-compassion, what kind of changes, we always want to measure our progress. Like, is it working? Am I seeing anything different? What kind of can we expect to see as we begin to practice this? Oh, well, so self-compassion definitely is a trainable skill, right? There's lots of research that shows even after about three weeks of doing self-compassion for, you know, a few minutes a day or just into, and by the way, you don't have to meditate. Meditation helps, but just every time you struggle, if you just remember to be kind and supportive to yourself, you're practicing self-compassion. And so what you'll start to see is, well, first of all, you start being uh, less self-critical, right? Which is the biggest change. You actually replace the habit of self-criticism with the habit of self-compassion. There was one study that showed people who wrote a self-compassionate letter to themselves for one day a week for seven days, that their depression decreased for three months and their happiness increased for six months. Oh, interesting. And the thing is, it doesn't take long to see. I mean, all you've got to do is the next time you're upset about something, you're feeling badly about yourself, try doing something as simple as, okay, what would I say to a good friend I cared about in this situation? And again, sometimes that's acceptance. Sometimes that's like you encourage your friend to do something different depending on what they need. So you try saying it to yourself and a physical touch we also encourage because, you know, as as mammals, we evolved to really see physical touch as a signal of care. So you can put your hand on your heart or maybe like a fist on your heart if you need to feel more empowered. So you use physical touch to give yourself that support. And almost immediately you'll see a shift in your mindset. You can see for yourself the difference it makes when you relate to yourself with kindness in moments of struggle. It's almost immediate. And what a beautiful gift to be able to give yourself, especially now because people are, we're struggling with a lot of emotions right now. And a lot of, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of uncertainty and self-compassion really help us get through that with more clarity or with more ease. 
Yeah, well, there was actually a fair amount of research during you know the COVID, which hopefully we're exiting now, at least in the United States. But um, the research shows that people who either naturally had more self-compassion or actually who were trained to be more self-compassionate were better able to cope with COVID. They were less stressed about it. They were more able to see like the hidden silver linings. This is interesting. They were less likely to use emotional eating as a way to deal with the ah. pandemic stress, which a lot of people did. So self-compassion is really good, for, especially for dealing with situations like this, where there's so much uncertainty. All we can really do is just be there for ourselves, you know, as, as the compassionate mess unfolds, try to support <laughs> ourselves as best we can. You know, not being so hard on yourself. Is, yeah, so maybe you didn't get everything you wanted accomplished. You know, that's okay. You can be understanding. At the same time, here's the thing. Self-compassion doesn't stop with, well, that's okay. It also says, but if there's something you'd really like that would make you happy, maybe we should think about doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's always that thing of acceptance and change. They always go hand in hand. The more we accept ourselves as a person, our intrinsic self-worth, the more able we are to actually change our behaviors to be more healthy. And then how do we connect with others who are on that same journey? Ah, well, um, you know, so I created with my colleague, Chris Germer, the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. It's a nonprofit. And as we teach self-compassion courses there, and we also have things like circles of practice, which are basically gatherings of people who've taken the mindful self-compassion course. We also have a Facebook group. There are ways you can connect with other people who are interested in this. And probably the best place to do that would be through the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Great. We'll put a link to that on our website. So when they they come to the landing page, they can go directly to that. And this book is so important. It's filled with such great information and your writing is really fun. It's a big topic, but it's really fun. And everyone has to read the beginning of the book just to hear about the incident uh, with the mother in front of your son. Oh, yeah. That's just a great story. Everyone has to now go find the book. It's true, true story, sadly. (laughs) Kind of funny because, you know, Glennon Doyle's book, um, you know, Untamed, which is so popular. She also starts her book totally coincidentally with the story of her with her child at the zoo. And this is a story with my child at the zoo. So it's, I guess it's just in the zeitgeist or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great story. It made me, it it made me laugh out loud. So everyone has to pick up the book, at least to read that story. And then you'll be hooked (laughs) and you're just going to keep going. So I really appreciate you spending this time, but before we let you go, We've given, we, you have given people so much to think about where can they start right now? Like as they're leaving this and we end this episode and it's like, man, I need some of this in my life. What's one thing that they can start doing right now to apply the principles and start learning about fierce self-compassion? Right. Okay. So after doing a Google search on self-compassion and going to my website, something else you could do, very, very simple, just Ask yourself the next moment you're fired on yourself or you're feeling depressed or something difficult happens. Just ask yourself, you know, what would I say to a good friend in this situation? I'm treating myself and the answer is usually no. (laughs) Just try it out. It will feel weird at first. I'm not going to lie. It feels weird if your whole life you've been telling yourself you're a loser, you know, buck up. And all of a sudden you're trying to say, hey, it's okay. I'm here for you. It feels weird at first, but you get through it. You power through it. And eventually that voice starts to become habitual. And it makes such a huge difference in our ability to cope. It's really worth doing. That's terrific. Kristen, thank you again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate this book and I look forward to seeing how it's going to change us. Thanks, Paula. Thanks again for having me on. 
That was Dr. Kristen Neff talking to us about fierce self-compassion. If you'd like to learn more about Kristen, download a free self-compassion meditation, register for an online fierce self-compassion workshop, or order her new book, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.